happy Thursday. Another episode. We're back after a long Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Hope everyone had a great Merry Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all the above. And as we come to the new year, we've got amazing college football games right ahead, previewing and predicting all 17 games from today on Thursday to Monday with the CFP. I'm with Cody Oaks. Cody, first, how was your break? And man, it's so good to be back here with you, Cody. It's been a long 12 to 13 days since our last episode. Absolute pleasure, man. We've seen some actually pretty cool games in the last couple weeks. And then obviously, I think this next slate of about 17, 18 games is going to be absolutely insane to kind of round up bowl season and obviously the CFP in the playoff, as well as the New Year's Six. So can't wait to break them all down. Super excited. Um, I think, like I said, the anticipation for these next two weeks is going to be pretty crazy. So it'll be fun to watch. Mm. Couple updates for you. We just reached 500 subscribers on YouTube. Clap it up for the for Clap the folks out up. there. We appreciate the support. Started this about three months ago. We were at 100, I think 100 around 100 subscribers. Now we jumped up to 500. Again, we're not much of a numbers guy, but it is cool to see the feedback, the support. We really do appreciate it. But Cody, we gotta stop start. We gotta stop stalling. We're gonna get right into it. I know people want to talk about all maybe the Rutgers Miami game. Maybe people want to talk about the SMU Boston College game. But we are talking. We are going to talk CFP first because I think Cody, we would both be thinking about the CFP the entire time. We would be previewing the other games. So without further ado, it is time to preview and predict the first CFP semifinal. Let's we'll start out with the Rose Bowl. For Alabama, 12-1, and the SEC champ, and a big win against Georgia. They slip in over Florida State versus number one Michigan as a one-and-a-half-point favorite as of today. The Big Ten champ, 13-0. Once again, J.J. McCarthy, last year I was at the Fiesta Bowl. He said, I promise we'll be back. They're back, and this might be the toughest opponent that they've played. Ah, Georgia the first year was pretty tough. TCU was an upset, but this one, Cody, you could definitely see in, in the room when they found out about Bama, they were like, whew, this isn't going to be easy. What sticks out to you here? Um, just overall thoughts, and then we'll take a deep dive into each team, keys and vic- keys of victory, players, matchups, and then we'll get into our predictions. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing for me, <clears throat> Michigan has kind of physically dominated every single one of the teams that they've played up to this point. So that means in the trenches up front, those the front five, on the offensive side of the ball, and obviously the front seven on the defensive side of the ball, um, they've pretty much dominated every single team they've played against. I think they met their match when it came to Ohio State. Um, I think they ultimately were, were able to pull that game out because they were just slightly better up front in that game. I think this will be the first time they've truly been tested in that front five and that front seven, not only, on, like I said, on the offensive side of the ball, but also on the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, obviously, with Jalen Milrow's legs, he's going to be able to stress – uh, that Michigan defense as well, not only throwing the football deep, which is his uh, best trait, but also using his legs and his athleticism. Um, I don't mm. think they've faced a quarterback with those kind of intangibles, um, not to mention, obviously, like Alabama's skill position players um, have really started to kind of rise up. Shout out to Isaiah Bond, the wide receiver, really starting to kind of separate himself and kind of become that target number one to kind of go along with that running game and um, and with Milrose legs <clears throat> and Jason McClellan. So um, I think, like I said, the, like the physicality in the trenches, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to be a big. Get this man some big, water. <laughs> I know I got I got a drink here. I'm just trying not to reach down and get it. But no, just the physicality in the trenches is definitely going to be something that 
um, will be something to keep an eye on, especially early in this mm. football game. Is Michigan going to be able to slow down not only the pass rush, but also slow down the Alabama running game enough to force them to make, you know, make Jalen Milrow make throws from the pocket. So it'll be interesting to see. Mm. First thing that sticks out to me, just just a blend, just an umbrella over everything. It's got to be the coaches. Nick Saban versus Jim Harbaugh. <clears throat> they had a photo today in Disneyland. It was so funny. I think I think Nick had some space between him and Mickey, and Jim Harbaugh was kind of all close and personal with Mickey Mouse. But I, I, for me, Cody, I'm wondering – we saw Michigan, Ohio State. We saw Michigan be aggressive around midfield, go for it on those fourth and goals early, or fourth and ones, I should say, fourth and twos against Ohio State. And, you know, Ryan Day was kind of conservative on that one. He punted and it kind of, you know, flipped the momentum, flipped the game there. My thing is how aggressive will these coaches be? Who's going to be the first one to jump the gun? Who's going to be the first one in and around the, the own 40 to, I would say, maybe – the other opponents, 45-40. I mean, it's college football. Like, kickers can't really kick it that far in college. So I'm wondering who's going to be the first one to, you know, jump the gun and go for it on that fourth and two, fourth and three, maybe even fourth and five if they're aggressive. But I would think if I had to, if I had to put my life on the line, I would think Jim Harbaugh would be the one to go for it. But, again, with Nick Saban on the other side of it, like, if you give up the ball to Alabama around the 40 or the 50-yard line, you got Jalen Melrose a couple plays, you're in field goal range. Other side of things, the Michigan game, the, the running game, and with J.J. McCarthy, you give it up to them. They only need a couple of plays to get points on the board. And I think every possession, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal, I think is going to be huge in this game. So, I, Cody, your thoughts on how aggressive you think both coaches are going to be, and then we'll kind of dive into these uh, teams. Yeah, you know, I think both will be extremely aggressive. I think Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow have really started to click these last four or five weeks, really have started to kind of get their play-action game going. Um, mm. Obviously, their downfield passing has been something that they've been able to do all season, but being able to run the football, not only with Jace McClellan, but also with, um, obviously, receivers on fly sweeps. Um, they finished the game against Georgia running Jalen Milrow a ton on some quarterback design runs. And I think that if they're going to be able to do that and really stress the Michigan defense is not only on the edges and try not to run right up the middle, I think that Alabama is going to be in a really good spot. So um, it'll be interesting to see, like, will if Alabama is able to stop that Michigan run game early where they're not able to run the ball 38 times in a row like they did against Rutgers or whatever it was. Mm. Um, let's just say, like, Michigan, you're not going to be able to win this game with J.J. Uh, McCarthy going six for seven for 80 yards or whatever he did against Rutgers. Yeah. J.J. McCarthy is going to be stressed. He's going to be put in a position where he's probably going to have to throw the ball 30 to 35 times, and is he going to be able to be efficient enough and find the guys on time and on target um, while under pressure and under siege um, in that pocket um, against that Alabama secondary? We'll see. So let's talk about Michigan first. You mentioned J.J. McCarthy. Cody, what if I, if I told you week three, week two, week four, after what we saw – Jalen Milrow start, you know, starting to struggle early, trying to get the chemistry with Tommy Reese, missing a lot of passes deep, intermediate, short. JJ McCarthy, I mean, that first month he was balling. If I were to tell you week three that Milrow would end up having more passing yards than JJ McCarthy at the end of the at the end of the regular season, you'd probably slap me. You'd probably be like, no, there's no way Jalen Milrow has more. He's got more passing yards than J.J. And that leads me to my first question with you. Let's talk Michigan offense against Alabama defense. I agree to you. I think J.J. needs the first nine games of play 
versus the last four. Now, I don't know if that's more of Sharon Moore. I don't know if he's been banged up. He's had a month now. He's got to be. I mean, you have a month off. Even if you're like at 50%, you're 75%, that's that's way better than what you would be at if, if they were to play um, early in the year. So I expect him to be healthy. But let's start quarterback. Again, you're the quarterback guru. Got to give you the floor first. Talk about J.J. McCarthy and what he needs to do against his Alabama defense. Yeah, you know, kind of harking back to kind of what you just talked about, those first few weeks, um, if you look at quality opponent, it's kind of like you kind of True. like if you really look at like who he was playing against, you're kind of like, huh. I guess he wasn't really playing against anybody. And then you look at who Alabama had to play against and you see a fellow college football playoff team, Texas. And then you see um, a couple other SEC schools and it's like, okay, so obviously he didn't play against South Florida. So we're not going to count that game. But um, yeah, if you really look at like quality opponents, kind of there was an undecided quarterback room um obviously at Michigan everyone kind of knew with Cade McNamara transferring to Iowa that it was going to be the JJ McCarthy show um teams probably game plan to stop Blake Quorum and Donovan Edwards early in the season they were like okay we're going to turn JJ McCarthy loose and see if he can win some games obviously mm-hmm. again when you're playing against the likes of Eastern Michigan and whoever like you're going to be able to put up big numbers and I think um, that just again kind of shows like as JJ McCarthy started to really get into the meat of his schedule production started to drop Mm. on the other side um, Jalen Milrow and Tommy Rees really started to get flowing and again the play calling was really really starting to show um, and I think they hit their peak against Georgia, obviously. Um, Georgia's defense has never kind of looked more confused and more out of position, I think, than they have in a few years. And I think that that was solely due to the play calling and the scheming uh, that Tommy Reese did, not only in the quarterback runs, but also getting Jalen Milrow out on the edges to throw the football um, and obviously taking their shots downfield when they had the opportunity. So um, just super cool to see um, just how Tommy Reese has been able to kind of scheme up not only Georgia, but also like that last drive against Auburn um, mm. and obviously Jalen Milrow and executing the, the, the game plan. So um, I think really right now, like if there was one quarterback to trust in this game, it would have to be Jalen Milrow. But in terms of talent, J.J. McCarthy has the ability. We just haven't seen him have to do it all season. So we'll be able to see that um, in full display uh, this upcoming week. Yeah, and I think it's going to be something, you know, against Ohio State, Michigan did struggle with the inside run game early. I Mm -hmm. I wonder if that happens with Alabama. Does panic start to set in, more play action? Um, And 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 if you were to rank the wide receiver cores of all four of these teams, Michigan's (laughs) got to be at four. Bama probably gets a slight edge with Isaiah Bond and, you know, Jermaine Burton, what he's done this season. And then obviously Texas and Washington at one. But – I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. They've got the advantage the DBs do. Bama does with Caleb Downs. I think Caleb Downs versus the tight end, Colson Loveland, is going to be a hell of a matchup. Freshman, All-American versus Colson Loveland, who was first team All-Big Ten. But Wait, hold I think on. That's what, did be... take... what, did you... what did you say Caleb Downs was? Oh, I think he was a freshman All-American, and I think he was like a first-team All-SEC. I think that's what you said before the season, yes. Like before the season? Like before the season even like, started? Like yeah, way yeah. before the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Check yeah. the video. Yeah. Like, Check the receipts. But, I mean, 
I mean, can these wide receivers win one-on-one matchups against Alabama? That's what you've been preaching all year long. How do you beat Alabama's the one-on-one matchups? Georgia struggled with that with injuries with Bowers and Aladdin McConkey. Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, I'm looking right at you. You've done it before. Roman Wilson, you had that good catch against Denzel Burke. Can they do that effectively to open up the running game? The inside run, the inside run wasn't there. They went to the outside run against, you know, Ohio State. But, I mean, for me, if you're J.J. McCarthy, I think you're like, yo, look, coach, I need 200, 250 yards passing. Let's get the running game open because that's my biggest concern for Michigan if they can't get the running game going and there's not wide receivers on the outside to win. It's going to be a long day for Michigan. He's going to have – then J.J. is going to have to use his legs even more than what he's done in previous games, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. And I think the crazy thing is is that J.J. McCarthy is actually a – plus athlete a lot of people don't realize how Mm -hmm. good an athlete jj mccarthy is i'd obviously give the the edge to milrow obviously jj's not breaking off 80 yard runs and stuff like that for touchdowns but um just don't be surprised if you see him scrambling um and getting out of the pocket against this alabama defense especially if they're going to bring pressure and play one-on-one in the back end Mm so um i think you said it um, Alabama secondary versus Michigan's wide receivers, clear advantage, Alabama. Um, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this program. Like the way you beat Alabama, you got to win one-on-one matchups and look, look at the game they lost this year. What did Texas do? They took their shots downfield in one-on-one matchups and they won them. Mm. And that's why Texas. Now, don't get me wrong. The fact that Texas was able to run the last seven minutes and 40 seconds off the clock was unreal. And we've never wild. seen that from an Alabama team, but Again, week, I think it was week two for that game. Was that week two? Yeah, week two. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was week two. Um, those Alabama horses were still kind of getting their feet wet. Nope. Again, no disrespect to Texas. Not a shot at Texas. It was probably the best win of the year um, in terms of like, like toughness going into Alabama winning that game um, mm. and winning by double digits the way they did. Super impressive. Not taking anything away. But. I definitely feel like Alabama is a different football team now than they were in week two, obviously. So um, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Let's go to Alabama defense. Um, you talked about how the best way to beat Alabama is one-on-one matchups to be able to you know, convert that and win on the outside. I think for Alabama, they got a big advantage. We talked about their DB core with Clyde McKinstry, with Caleb Downs. They've got the advantage in sort of we've seen from Notre Dame when they played Ohio State, when they played, I guess, USC. They could go man coverage on the outside all day, stack the box, and try to stop the run and trust their DBs because Michigan does thrive off of those long, deep routes. Like we saw against Ohio State. We saw against Ohio State last year as well. Like those deep threats is what gets Michigan going when the run game's not there. Then a couple plays, a running game, boom, touchdown. So I think there, Cody, they can stack up the box. I think a key guy is Dallas Turner. This is the linebacker that no one knew before the season, starts to get better and better every single year. It's going to be the trenches. Again, Michigan's offensive line, not as great as last year. They weren't the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, which we'll get into Washington in this next segment. But, I, I, I mean, your thoughts, how would you scheme if you're Alabama against this Michigan d- defense? I think they got a big advantage here. You can stack the box and say, hey, let Roman Wilson beat us on the outside. Let Cornelius Johnson beat us on the outside with our all-SEC talent. And we're going to stack the box, get some stunts going and blitz you and try to make J.J. very uncomfortable. I would put seven in the box, tell my DBs to sit right at six yards, and we are blitzing 20 times this game. 
Would you put Caleb Downs on Colson Loveland? I mean, that's the only guy I could think that would guard him. I don't know about any linebackers that could guard him. He's he's kind of a skinnier tight end. Yeah. Yeah. I'd put Caleb Downs. I'd put Caleb Downs on Colson Loveland. I'd put Kool-Aid McKinstry on Roman Wilson. And then I would just say, everyone else, do your job. We'll be fine. Wherever these two go, you two go. And up front, we are bringing the funk. That ball needs to be out early. And that that will allow Caleb Downs and Kool-Aid McKinstry to be able to play downhill and be aggressive, possibly jump around. I will not be surprised if there's a pick six in this football game um, from the Alabama defense on a hitch route, a slant route, um, quick stop, whatever it might be. Just don't be surprised if it happens, especially early. Early in that game, if they can get to J.J. early, get that ball out of his hands quick, and they're able to be aggressive coming downhill on those quick routes, don't be surprised if there's a pick six in this football game. I like that. I like that. That's a great take there, Cody. Um, let's go. Let's go Alabama offense. We're talking Alabama defense. Let's go Alabama offense. Um, again, this is Tommy Reese, J.O. Bilro. Tommy Reese said, look, all right, I'm not going to make you a short intermediate passer. We're going to make you a long thrower. We're, we're going to play to your strengths. We're going to run the hell out of you. I think his last couple games, he's had like 90 rushing yards, every single one. I'm looking right now. Um, last game against Georgia he had 29 but the game before against Auburn he had 107 um how many rushing yards pass rush do you see from Jalen Milrow what do you see in this game plan and I guess who's the guy that sticks out to you um that needs to step up in this offense Jalen Milrow to me needs needs to go over 75 rushing yards in this game for Alabama to be successful on the offensive side of the ball um the fact that Michigan is so good up front and also has the horses in the back end to be able to cover downfield as well um, against, like we said, probably the third best receiving core in the CFP. I think that obviously like with guys like Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond kind of coming into their own this year, late in the year with the chemistry with Jalen Milrow has been great, but understand like Michigan has DBs as well, and I think some underrated DBs. Um, his name's escaping me, number zero. Uh, oh, that's Mike uh, St. Rastiel, I think his name is. Yes, Mike Sanderstiel, yep, him. He is an absolute stud, converted wide receiver, so very aware of like breaks and things like that, um, where routes should be breaking, how routes should be breaking. Um, I want to say he was the one who got the pick to shut the door against Ohio State. Rod Moore yeah. actually did. Rod, Rod Moore. Moore, okay. I know Sanderson was in the area though in that in that mm. football game. So, um, so I think Michigan secondary very underrated, very good unit, very solid, um, technically uh, with technique. So I think that at the end of the day, Jalen Milrow, you need to run for probably 75, 85 yards um, because I think Michigan's going to do very similar to what Alabama's going to do. I think they're going to stack the box and say, all right, Jalen Milrow, we're probably going to spy you with one, maybe even two players um, and try and keep you in um, and then play man across the board and maybe blitz. Um, but if they get out of position, Jalen Milrow definitely is the type of, a- type of athlete, as we've seen in the past, that can turn a quick 10 to 15 yard run into 60 to 65 very quickly. So just don't be surprised if, like I said, Jalen Milrow gets over that 75, 85 yard rushing mark fairly quickly. A guy I'm interested to see who, if he plays or not, it came out today that Nick Saban's optimistic he's playing is, is Jace McClellan. I think that's a key guy in their, in their offense. If they can run the one, two punch with him and Roy Dell Williams and Jalen Milrow, it's going to be a long day for Michigan. 
Um, for the Michigan defensive side of things, you read my mind, Cody. I put the DBs have serious speed. Watching them in person, Mike Mike Sandra still, um, Rod Moore, but more importantly, Will Johnson. Will Johnson being the cornerback, really great technique against Marvin Harrison Jr. If he's got Jermaine Burton one-on-one the entire game, that, that eliminates that big threat on the outside, especially down in the red zone. That's where Jermaine Burton kind of – that's his bread and butter. We saw that against Georgia. We saw that against Auburn. That's going to be the thing that really sticks out to me. And I ask you this, Cody, and again, I'm asking you all this. You're, the, you're an offensive coordinator. You call plays. Like you're, you're in the playbook. Defensively for Michigan, I originally put that junior Colson, the linebacker, kind of needs to play that spy. It kind of needs some pressure – you know, mm-hmm. maybe he's that the spy for him. They're really good at stunning too, but they've got to be careful with stunning because if you get Melrose outside the pocket too early, he's going to run for a bunch of yards. Maybe they can kind of hold him in the pocket for a little longer um, and then, then get him out late. But my question to you, I just thought about this late. Would you be considering if Mike Sane were still played a little QB spy? Mm. He's athletic. Probably more athletic than Junior Colson. No offense to Junior Colson, but the way he flies downhill, I'm thinking of that pass to Travion Henderson where he blew him up. Like that type of play, but having Jail Melrow kind of escape the pocket, I feel like Mike Mikey could play better as a QB. I'm not saying every play, but I'm saying certain maybe scenarios like third and long, like third and 14, third and 15, those those type of plays where we've seen Melrow kind of get those first downs and make something out of nothing. What are your thoughts on? On that, and then I guess the QB spy perspective against a mobile quarterback. I kind of kind of enlighten our listeners. A safety playing QB spy. No, I actually really like the idea. You know, I think whenever you whenever the offense's best athlete is their quarterback, I think it would make sense to kind of have your best athlete be the QB spy. I think, man, what if I think about like a player that I would have loved to see be the QB spy would have been like a Jabril Peppers. That's like, what I, I, I think remember. of. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I think of like a guy who would have been perfect for like to spy on Jalen Milrow, a guy like Jabril Peppers, a guy who can run in the four, 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 five, but is physical enough at 205 pounds, 210 pounds to not only play outside linebacker, but also be dynamic enough to come downhill and put a lick on somebody, whether it's a receiver or a running back or even a quarterback like a Jalen Milrow. So, man, I think. I mean, a game of chess and checkers, obviously, it'll be fun to watch. But, yeah, I think that that would be one of those, like, really cool type of matchups. I think Sanders still is probably going to have to move around quite a bit in this defense this, this weekend. Um, you're probably going to see him at nickel. You're probably going to see him at safety at some points. Maybe even, like you said, QB spy at corner and long down situations. So it'll just be interesting to see how they use him, how often they use him in those different spots, or is he going to be trailing a guy like Isaiah Bond? Is he going to be mm-hmm. locked up with a Jermaine Burton the whole game? Um, it'll be cool to watch, though. Man, the game I of chess. I, I wouldn't be surprised game. if those long third downs, and they do put him there, if they were in a 3-3-5 and kind of put you know Mikey down to that nickel linebacker position, if they do blitz on it, you know, kind of replace and be that QB spy. Definitely something to look out for. I thought of that late. Um, very proud of myself. My brain kind of surprises me sometimes. Nice but, Cody, nice any last thoughts, key matchups, key players for you, and then we'll get into our prediction. This has been a great preview. No, I think, uh, obviously, like, short yardage. Um, if Alabama's defense allows Michigan to kind of get into that, like, 10-yard line and in, just be aware of Blake Quorum, you know, 24 touchdowns this year, which is unreal. Probably mm-hmm. top 10 in the FBS in terms of rushing touchdowns. 24 rushing touchdowns. That's 
no slouch, especially with only 218 carries. So that's a touchdown mm-hmm. every about less than 10 carries. So nine and a half mm-hmm. carries. So just be aware. Blake Quorum in the football game, they're trying to get him in the end zone. Um, so I know he just did cross over the thousand yard mark. I'm in the Big Ten Championship. Pretty cool to see. Um, does Donovan Edwards? Does Donovan Edwards kind of like will a real Donovan Edwards please stand up? Like I feel like we haven't really seen, <laughs> we haven't really seen like a big breakout game kind of like he had a few of those last 382 year. So, yards this year. That's it. That's crazy. Yeah. That, yeah. Was my, that was my that was my prediction. That was my prediction. Sorry to cut you off. That was my prediction for Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year was Donovan Edwards because last remember. year. This guy had 991 yards and seven touchdowns. I think he almost had 382 yards against that game in that game against TCU. To your point, continue. Yeah, no, and then in the Ohio State game, I want to say he had like 200 and something, like 280 yards or something like that. Mm. So it was like back, like he had 600 yards in two games. So, um, yeah, definitely an underwhelming season from Donovan Edwards this year. So maybe is this the game where maybe he breaks out? Do they throw him the ball out of the backfield, fly sweep? Put him and Blake Corm in the same backfield at the same time. We've been calling for it for the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, is Harbaugh going to do it? We'll see. Last year of the fourteen playoff, Michigan's best chance in twenty five years. They might not have another opportunity like this. We'll see what happens with Harbaugh. We'll see what happens with JJ. A lot of missing pieces. A lot of uh, question marks when it comes to what's going to happen after this season. They need this win big for four Alabama. Since like for Ohio State, just like in the first CFP, 10 years later, kind of the same scenario. No one wanted him in there. Now more people have Alabama against Michigan. Right now, Michigan's a one and a half point favorite. But Cody, for me, I got to stick with my gut. I think Jim Harbaugh's got the boys ready. I think they're fired up. It's been a month. I think it's going to be a close one. I got Michigan winning this ball game. Um, we'll, we'll do scores for CFP. I'm going to say 24-20. I think it's kind of a lower scoring battle. I think late. Late, uh, oh, I think you go overtime. I'm gonna say overtime, kind of that Sony Michelle run at the end there. I just watched the game last night, the rerun of it. Blake Corum does the exact same thing in the Rose Bowl, and Michigan goes to the national championship. Wow, love the pick, love the Thank pick. You. Thank you. I'm gonna go 27 24. And now, mind you, I'm picking Alabama to win 27 24. They beat Auburn 27-24. They beat Georgia 27-24. I think they go three games in a row and win 27-24, and they win it on a Caleb Downs punt return for a touchdown late in this football game. Give me Alabama plus the three points, 27-24. The Tide go to the National Championship game. I can't wait for that game. That game is going to be amazing. This is the first year where all four teams can win it. The CFP so stacked in 2023. About to be 2024, actually, because this game is on January 1st. The nightcap, Sugar Bowl, two Washington versus three Texas. Cody, someone came out of the Pac-12 in the last year of the Pac-12. We love to see it. This Washington team seems to be like America's team. However, the sports books, the Devils, they think Texas is going to win by four and a half. This is a rematch. They played last year in the Alamo Washington won 27 to 20. I mean, in that game, Ewers had 369 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Penix, 287 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Their leading wide receiver, I think, was 
McMillan, if I'm not mistaken, McMillan or Polk, which is funny. And then for you, was yep. on the other hand, it was it was like some other wide receiver that's not even there anymore. So, Adunze, less of a role in this game last year. This year, wow. Adunze, insane. Look at the other side of things with A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy, who is now healthy for this game. A lot to talk about, a lot to digest. Similar offenses, similar defenses. Cody, let's start out with you. I mean, shoot. Let's start out with Washington because we're, we're, you already know your, your, your first opening point is going to be about Washington. Talk to me about the Huskies. This game is screaming. Like, to me, there's a glaring weakness, and I think that is what is going to dictate this football game. There's one glaring weakness, and I only say that because the glaring weakness is exactly what the other team does really, really well. And in that is, is that Texas's passing defense is not up to par with the passing offense of Washington. They were exposed last year in the Alamo Bowl. And I think that's another opportunity for Washington to kind of show an, an improved Washington pass game, albeit in terms of stats for Michael Penix, not so much. But let's be honest. Roma Dunze has taken that next step to elite status. Jalen McMillan, healthy. Jalen Polk, healthy. Um, I want to say both uh, Polk and Roma Dunze are both over 1,000 yards, if I'm not mistaken, in receiving. Um, if not over, they're going to be after this game. So um, he is. Okay, yep. perfect. Polk so, is exactly at 1,000. <laughs> Love to, love to hear, baby. Love to hear. Um, so anytime you have 2,000-yard receivers, that lets us know that they're able to beat one-on-one -on -one coverage. Michael Penix, probably the most one of, if not the most accurate passers of the football um, in the country. Obviously, he led the country in yards. Um, like To me, this game's going to come down to can Washington continue to do what they've done all year? And I think that the fact that this is going to be in a dome. So that means perfect weather conditions. Mm. That means no wind. That means no rain. That means it's going to be 65 degrees and just an absolutely fast track. I think that bodes extremely well for Washington. And I think an underrated thing, hear me out, an underrated thing for Washington that we saw in this Oregon game in the Pac-12 championship Washington's safeties had been beat up and hurt all season long. They were healthy, and you saw both of them being able to come downhill fast and shut down not only passing lanes but also running lanes for a very, very potent Oregon offense. So um, the fact that Washington is getting healthy at the right time, I think, bodes bad for Texas in this matchup. Speaking about Washington, let's keep talking about Washington's offense. For me, I, you mean – you hit you hit on the head. Adunze and McMillan Polk versus the struggling Texas DBs. Like, I mean, if you're Texas, you're gonna have to get an interception at some point. But more importantly, like you're gonna have to run zone the entire game. Then when it comes to the red zone, you're gonna have to run man at some point, and maybe even hedge over Adunze on the opposite side. But um, again, I throw it back to you, Cody. You're the Washington guy. You're the guru. You're the quarterback guru yourself. What we saw from Oregon, the the game plan against Oregon. We talked about it in the Oregon-Washington reaction video. It was a lot of crossing routes, a lot of similar route concepts in different formations. Not really vertically, but horizontally 
with McMillan, with Polk, and with the Dunze. Against a struggling DB core, I guess, of Texas. Do you kind of see that similar thing, or do you kind of see more vertical shots and maybe later in the game go horizontally, more play action? How do you kind of see you know Washington play-wise against this Texas defense? First question. Second question, what's impressed you about Grubb and his offensive play calling? Again, they've had a month to prepare, so the floor is yours. Yeah, what Coach Grubb did against Oregon was absolute masterclass in how to get your receivers the football in space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were a few different passing concepts that we kind of like went back and forth on, like how he was able to kind of go from like nasty splits and kind of run flood across the field, which was unreal how he was able to get Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan the football. Um, I think in this game, because Texas is going to have to play zone, I think this plays right into the hands of Michael Penix. When you're this accurate with the football, when teams go zone, that just says, oh, I'm going to pick you apart. Think of the Arizona football game. Remember in the Arizona game, he had something like an 85% completion rate, Mm. but he only threw for like 300 and like, I want to say it was like 320 only, quote unquote, only threw for like 320 yards or something like that, but he had something like almost 40 completions. So that yeah, means he was like short. And in- oh, go ahead. 30, sorry, 30 or 40, 363 yards, no touchdowns, but 75%. See what I'm saying? So like mm. that is like this, that's the type of game that I see happening because of the ability of Washington late in the season to run the football. Um, these some of these experts, no disrespect to them. I like I have a ton of respect for them, but I'm hearing a lot of people say that like Washington hasn't faced a front seven that's even in the stratosphere of Texas. Like have we seen the recruiting that Coach Landing has done at the University of Oregon? Not to mention what Coach Cristobal left there at University of Oregon. Like Oregon is stacked in the front seven and Washington was able to run the football at will against them in the PAC 12 championship coach grub drawing up a lot of zone blocking concepts, which allowed Dylan Johnson who has gone absolutely nuts in the second half of the season for university of Washington, read the blocks, cut back lanes were there. Um, and he's toting the rock, man, knock on wood. He hasn't fumbled the football at all. Um, they haven't turned the ball over a ton, Michael Penix has protected the football. Obviously, he did throw that pick, which when I went back and watched the pick that he threw against Oregon, like Roma Dunze, who was the target, was wide open on that play. We kind of missed him. But that's a rare miss. And I think that Michael Penix being able to throw the ball, shorten intermediate passing game against a zone defense of Texas, is just playing into exactly what Washington loves to do. And I Mm. think that um, Texas is in a really, really tough spot in this football game. For their defense, again, the front seven, everyone's blazing about the front seven. Probably the biggest test against the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line from Washington. Only 11 sacks they've allowed in 13 games. That's top three in college football. That's an average of .85 per game. Now, on the other side of things, their front seven for Texas, 36 in sacks, which isn't bad. They average about two and a half sacks a game. I think, Cody, if they have an opportunity, if Texas defense has an opportunity, to fluster Penix, I think they've got to have at least three sacks. I think three sacks is the golden number. I know they average, you know, 2.46. I 
I think the only team that has come close to that was Arizona. They had two sacks against Penix, and that was a close game. Came down to the wire. So if they can kind of get the three sacks and maybe an interception at some point to kind of rattle Penix, I think that's the only chance they have because the receivers are going to get their money. I think Dylan Johnson, if you can stop Dylan Johnson, that's not like, okay, fine. You stop the running game, we're going to throw the ball again. Like, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Um, so to your point, I, I think they've got to be able to, you know, pressure Penix somehow because we haven't seen that all season. We haven't seen when he's been able to pressure, been pressured, him throwing it off his back foot now for Michael Penix. He throws it off his back foot. That's that's like one of his best throwing motions when he throws it off his back foot. So can they make him flustered? On the other side of things, though, Texas's offense is explosive. They've got A.D. Mitchell. They've got Xavier Worthy. They've got Jatavion Sanders. And I think that's where, you know, when you look at tight ends, it's a position for tight ends in these four teams. You know, Colson Loveland probably too. I think Jatavion Sanders is probably the most talented tight end, in my opinion. And then probably, you know, Alabama's and then Washington's probably last. Washington's probably last in tight ends. Culp had that really great catch against USC. Will we see that? Who knows? But I think for me, they got to threaten the middle with Sanders, leave one-on-one matchups on the outside. They got to be able to double team Braden Trice, you know, Washington. That's the thing about Washington is it, their defense always shows up in the second half, always shows up in the second half. So if they can somehow get them flustered, you know, in the first half and then be able to contain them in no sacks in the second half, I think that gives Texas an advantage because that's when – like, again, we've seen the past couple games. Washington's offense has been kind of declining in the second half, except that fourth quarter against Oregon, and then their their defense starts to explode. So I think, you know, for viewers, if you can take care of the football, stay healthy. Um, and, again, it's going to be interesting to see. I think this is the matchup I'm looking forward to watching is Texas offense versus that Washington defense. Um, what sticks out to you here when you look at both sides? Again, the biggest thing for me in this, can Texas's offense keep – the ball out of Michael Penix's because realistically, like if Washington, I'll say this, if Washington gets a double digit lead in this game, the game's over. Like I'm like there because they're so elite on the offensive side of the ball that I think, and Michael Penix is so elite at picking apart defenses that I think while a lot of people would use the run to kind of use clock, and chew up yards, I think Washington mm. will be able to do a good enough job. Intermediate, dink, dunk, screens, bubble screens, now screens, throwing out of the bunch, little quick outs, little quick hitches, and they will do that until you come up. And then when you come up, we've already seen, like you said, you come up, you pressure Michael Penix, and he's able to get his receivers one-on-one downfield. That's where the daggers come. And I just, like, Washington – like, just- I was going to say, too, you said that about Oregon, too. You said if they reach double digits, it's over for Oregon. They had 10 points in the first quarter and didn't look back since then. The other thing about Texas, I mean, it sucks. I wish Jonathan Brooks was playing. I think him playing in this game is a huge advantage for Texas in the running game. They've got three guys. they got Blue, Baxter, and they got Robinson. If they can kind of, you know, shift them in and out. Again, those long, drooling, long grueling drives, six, seven minutes, and they can score a touchdown at the end. That's a big advantage, to your point, by leaving Penix off the field. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I'll say this. A lot of people haven't talked about this, but the most clutch there the two thing the two most clutch units on this team in the fourth quarter, Michael Penix, and then on the defensive side of the ball, University of Washington's defense. Every single time they need to get a stop, 
late in a football game to win it, mm. Washington has gotten the job done. That's why when people were talking about, oh, look at all these close games, Washington's struggling. Guys, that helps them because now they've been in close football games in hostile environments. And now when it comes down to like, let's say this game is 28 to 24, four minutes left, Texas is driving for the win. If I'm Washington, I'm comfortable. Because they've, they've proven themselves time and time again to be able to get that third down stop, that fourth down stop, that turnover late in the game to be able to salt the game away. So, I, I like, mm. again, I just don't – there's nothing about this game that tells me that Texas is going to win the football game, which probably means they win by 10. But <laughs> – Oh my gosh! Uh, key players, and then we'll get into our prediction. Key player for me, I mean, I, I think I think it's simple. I said it. I think Jatavion Sanders got to be able to open up the field. If he can somehow get going up the middle, it's going to open up Worthy and Ad Mitchell on the on the outside again. Ad Mitchell, so much experience in the CFP, does not phase him. Who's the key player for you? Key player for me, I'm just going to go with, like you said, the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. I know that's not one particular player, but when you work as one like the offensive line at Washington does, I think if they're able to keep Michael Penix clean this game and he's able to throw 35 to 40 times and be efficient like he was against Arizona, I just, like, I know, like, it's not supposed to sound, it's not supposed to be this easy in the CFP. It's really not. I just... I've watched this team from up close all season long. And when people were detracting them, I was trying to let people know, like, you realize, like, they're beating really, really good teams and they're not even playing their best. And so that's where, to me, like, I don't think we've seen this team at their best yet. And I think that because they've gotten healthy throughout the year and just now they're getting their full team because you got to think Jalen McMillan hurt most of the season. Those two safeties nicked almost all season. Now they're getting their full complement back and they're all playing at their best too. Like I just, man, I like things are lining up for the universe of Washington. That's all I'm going to say. So we know your predictions, Washington. What's the score you got? Wow. Um, I, I think it's a double digit spread, like, which is crazy. Like I think, Oh, so the over under right now, the total is 63 and a half. And they've got Texas favored by four. So they've got it maybe a 34 30, 35 31 type of game there. Wow. I would go, I'm going to go 35 24, Washington. 35 24. Wow. Wow. Okay. For me, I've been back and forth on this. And we have a pick sheet, and I kind of write out, you know, who I'm picking. I've crossed out both sides probably three or four times <laughs> until I heard you talk and I heard some other people talk and I've been doing research. I agree with you. I didn't think they were going to beat Oregon 10 point underdog and they played kind of poorly in the second half offensively, but they got the job done. I just think they're too explosive on offense. And you, like you said, the safety is the biggest factor in Washington. We saw that safety unit do and how comfortable that front seven looked. Braylon Trice got pressure late i like washington too cody i'm gonna go 35 31 washington high scoring game then quinn ewers i'm gonna say two interceptions from quinn ewers that's the side mm. factor. i i think quinn ewers coming back another year you got another chance to redeem yourself quinn ewers but that first year in the cfp i, I think you throw two picks that's my prediction 
Love the pig, baby. Go dogs. Love it. Love it. We're excited for the CFP. That's on January 1st. Mark the calendars on Monday. But we're going to backtrack a little bit, Cody, because we got other bowl games to talk about, some non, non-New Year's Six, some New Year's Six games. Some games we're going to quickly touch on, and some games we're going to break down, especially one that you and me both got on our mind that's t- tonight. Let's get things started, Cody. The Wasabi Fenway Bowl. This one's kicking off at 9 a.m., 24 SMU versus Boston College. SMU favored by 10.5. A quiet 11-2 and two this year. They've won the AAC being SMU. SMU, one of those teams that's, you know, kind of in between when it comes to the transfer portal. Like, not like a Clemson when they didn't use it a lot. Not like Colorado, who only relies on the transfer portal, but kind of in between. And this is a program that I'm kind of intrigued to see what they do next in the ACC. Boosters helped them get to the ACC. They're starting to get more fan base around that. You know, Texas is such a big program. I mean, such a big state in general when it comes to football. They've got a young quarterback, Preston Stone, which I'm sure you're going to talk about maybe, sophomore quarterback. He's had a low-key, a big year, 3,200 yards, 28 touchdowns, six interceptions. Like, this is a team, I mean, that's going to the ACC. Again, I say this, and you're like, oh, they won national champions. Like, you're going to say, like, oh, SMU's going to win national champion. I'm not saying that. But this screams kind of the early stages of Clemson, SMU. Yep. Starting to build a program. you got a young quarterback. you got a new head coach. Like, they're starting to get, you know, boosters on their side, especially in NIL space, transfer portal. Like, all it takes is that one big recruit or that one big transfer portal signing, and, and they'll sky off. So what do you, what have you been impressed with by SMU? Talk to me a little bit about less SMU that you know, and then we'll get to Boston College a little bit, and then we'll, we'll give our predictions. Yeah, you know, you hit it on the head, man. They've done a really good job in the transfer portal. Preston Stone, um, little fun fact, you mentioned Colorado. Um, I was first introdu- introduced to Preston Stone when he was actually um, a high school quarterback playing against Shador Sanders during mm-hmm. the uh, uh, when Shador was at Trinity playing for his dad in high school. So um, Preston Stone actually beat them in overtime in that football game. A little fun fact. So, um, yeah, no, Preston Stone, absolute baller, a dual threat guy, um, was a little banged up throughout the year. So it's kind of good to see that he's kind of back. Hopefully he's able to play in this football game. Um, SMU just did miss out on a conference championship this year. I want to say they lost to Tulane. No, SMU beat Tulane. I'm tripping. They beat Tulane uh, <laughs> in the in the conference championship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they think, beat Tulane. Yeah, I'm they beat Tulane. Tripping. Sorry about that, but yeah, um, you like I said, you hit it on the head when you got a big time quarterback like Preston Stone. Um, um, and again, I think the Clemson comparison is really, really good. I think it reminds me of back when like Taj Boyd was there, uh, New Hopkins. Um, and for those who don't know who New Hopkins is, that's DeAndre Hopkins. His his nickname's New. Um, and uh, no, I think that's a great that's a great comparison. You know, um, obviously you. them moving to the ACC, um, and some of those big name schools, <clears throat> Florida State might be leaving, and. Uh, Um, I think that kind of opens the door wide open, similar to kind of Arizona and Utah kind of coming into that new Big 12. I think this is a great opportunity for SMU to kind of hit the ground running um, in a restructured ACC as well. They had to win the the AAC to get confidence for them to go to the ACC. Um, You mentioned Preston Stone. Again, their transfer running back, their best running back right now, uh, Jalen Kanz-Cruston, I believe his name is, leading rusher, transfer from Miami. On the other side of things, Boston College, 6-6. The guy to look out for is Thomas Castellanos. Castel- Castellanos? Did I say his name right? Castellanos. Freshman, 
can throw the ball. Again, 15 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 57%. Eh, but he's more effective in the running game. 957 yards, 194 carries, 11 touchdowns. Did play well against Florida State. So we've seen this team, you know, play well against those high opponents. Talk to me a little bit about Boston College. What do you know about Mr. Thomas? Hey, you know, uh, lost by two against a really, really talented Florida State team. Put up, I want to say they put up the second most points against Florida State that was scored all season mm. um, in 29. So super impressive there. Um, like you said, the dual threat got, threat in Castellanos. Um, it'll be fun to watch. I mean, obviously, 13 interceptions, got to take care of the football, especially against an explosive offense like SMU. But scrappy. Um, Boston College definitely kind of has that blue collar mentality. Um, obviously, they went six and six in the ACC. ACC was a little top heavy, so I think that they probably ran into some, maybe had some tougher scheduling this year. And obviously, like teams like Virginia um, and even Syracuse kind of had like some upstart moments throughout the year that made it kind of tough from top to bottom. So um, I think that Boston College will probably bring the fight. Um, although SMU is probably looking as like wanting to kind of parlay that like conference championship into a bowl win and then into some momentum heading into 2024. So um, definitely one that I think uh, favors SMU. Now, what, what better way to get introduced to the ACC than being an ACC team in Boston College? And for my prediction, I think SMU wins. I know they're 10 and a half point favorite, but I think they went big. I think this kind of brings the momentum 12 and two. They win this game. That's crazy. How about SMU and those Mustangs, Cody? Absolutely. Preston Stone goes crazy. Uh, kind of a welcome to the country moment, national television audience. Um, for those of you who don't know, another guy to kind of keep an eye on, maybe Dark Horse Heisman talk if he's in the ACC next year, throwing for the same amount of yards. Um, he's also, like I said, he's a dual threat guy. Could be threatening that kind of like 3,500, 800 type of season, maybe even 3,500, 1,000 season if he's able to stay healthy. Um, 45 to 50 touchdowns next year. A name to remember, Preston Stone for 2024. Dark Horse Heisman, you heard it here first. SMU wins this football game big. Fenway Bowl being played at Fenway Stadium, Fenway Park, whatever you want to call it. This next one being in a baseball stadium as well. The Pinstripe Bowl. We played in Yankee Stadium. Rutgers 6-6, six and six, Miami 7-5. and five. Rutgers is a two-and-a-half point favorite right now. Um, right now, I mean, this screams – so. Van Dyke's gone, right? You've got Emory Williams, who had some playing time, freshman quarterback there at Miami. This screams, you know, that big freshman class that we saw, the 2022, 2023 class, I think it was with Jaden Wayne, with Riley Williams. I say this because we've seen them in person in seven on seven. This screams to me, show me your freshman class. Show me the future. Show me what Miami fans can look forward to. I think Riley Riley Williams plays. I think Jaden Wayne, who's only had point half a sack and four tackles, I think he gets a lot of minutes in this game. Riley Williams, only seven catches, 59 yards, one touchdown. Those are some two players and Emory Williams, too, the freshman. But give Miami fans, Miami boosters, something to look forward to. You screamed that this was the best recruiting class that you had from Mario Cristobal. I, this screams to me, Cody, a lot of freshman firepower here, just kind of what we saw from the young talent tonight with USC playing Louisville. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the tale of two different teams. Um, I think there was like, I think something like 27 draft eligible players for Rutgers that actually all decided to come back and they didn't wow. lose anybody in the portal. So like Rutgers is set 
not only for this game, but also kind of going into 2024 um, to be probably one of the older teams, not only in um, the Big East or the AAC or wait, sorry, in the Big Ten, but um, but in the country. You know, I think anytime that you have anytime you have 27 redshirt sophomores and older and they're all coming back, they're not losing anybody to the draft. They're not losing anybody to the portal. That's big. And I think that that. They all wanted to stay and play for Greg Schiano, his second lease at life over there at Rutgers, um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. I think I think Rutgers probably wins this football game, and I think they win it fairly easily. Um, mm. Like you said, I think Miami's gonna try and play a bunch of freshmen, and whenever you have kind of like those freshmen who haven't had a ton of tick, um, I think that those older players kind of take it a little personal. Like, who are these young bucks trying to come out here and play? Oh, the U has a little bit of swagger, and this kind of rings back to kind of old Big East rivalry. But, uh, Miami was in the Big East with Rutgers, kind of was the big brother to Rutgers for a long time. Um, and so I think it'll be kind of some get back for, especially for a Greg Schiano who uh, took mm-hmm. some L's to Miami in his first stint um, at Rutgers. I'm going the U. I'm going the U. I think Mario Cristobal gets his eighth win. I think Miami wins. Again, to your point about Rutgers, 27 players, that's remarkable. Maybe, maybe, maybe they could be a team. I'm not saying they make the Final Four. Like, you know, FAU kind of did when they had that old, gritty, everyone's staying. Even this team this year, FAU, who just beat Arizona in basketball. That kind of screams to me like this Rutgers, like, hey, let's stick it out. Let's all be seniors and see what we can do in such a Big Ten, you know, big conference and with college football now and everyone's staying. I, I like the Rutgers take there, but I'm going Miami on you on that one. This next bowl, Cody, this one's I'm actually really excited to watch probably more than any other bowl game. And I'll tell you why. The Pop-Tarts Bowl between 18 NC State, 9-3, mm. versus 25 Kansas State, 8-4, who's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. But, Cody, I'm not talking about the game. I'm talking about the Pop-Tart. Now, the Pop-Tart Bowl, for those who don't know, they've unveiled that they will have the first-ever edible mascot. The winning team will get to chase down this edible mascot and take a bite from the Pop-Tarts. It will run around the Orlando Stadium, interacting with fans, and when the final whistle blows, transform into a game-winning snack for the victors. How does that happen? (laughs) What? There's a human inside of this. So they're going to eat it, and then they're going to expose who's inside of this. I don't get it, unless it's like an AI robot. But, Cody, when you heard this, what would you think? Um... They're reaching right here. Like it's hey, working. How do we, how do we create some interest in this game? <laughs> it's but worked no, though. It's like, worked on the <laughs> on the football side. I think NC State's defense um, is better in this game. I think that at the end of the day, um, I believe NC State's quarterback is Phil Jerkovich. Is that correct? So NC State, they've got Brennan Armstrong. So he he, he initially was the quarterback. Yeah, he sat. MJ Morris balled out. MJ Morris is transferring to Maryland. Brennan Armstrong, the last couple games, his last two games, he's been effective. Look at these stats here, Cody. Last two games, he's completed 75% of his passes. Last two games, UNC win, 22 at 31, 334 yards, three touchdowns. And then, and then the game before that against Virginia Tech, he had 203, two yards. Or sorry, two touchdowns passing, two touchdowns rushing. So he's been effective lately. He's their leading rusher too, Brennan Armstrong. Yeah, Brennan Armstrong, transfer from Virginia, 
absolute big big time baller, big time arm. Um, to me, NC State might be the favorite in this game for me, but mm. that's just me. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Jax? Yeah, I mean, it's weird that Kansas State's favored by two and a half of the freshman quarterback, Avery Johnson. Again, this is the big stage for him. Like we saw with Miller Moss stepping in, you know, being a first-time start. This is basically his first-time start. This is his team. Um, I don't know. Like you mentioned, the, the, the veteran defense from NC State, they're going to create havoc. If they can force turnovers and they can force Kansas State in that 8 to 10-yard range and third downs, Maybe force Avery Johnson to get outside the pocket. They can contain him. I think NC State wins this. Fun fact for you. NC State is 8-0 when rushing for more than 112 yards. Kansas State this season has allowed 113 yards rushing in 8 of 12 games. That tells me mm. the rushing defense is awful. Look out for that point. If you see it go over 112, NC State money line. But I'm surprised, Cody, that NC State is the underdog in this. I agree with you. Avery Johnson – a true freshman. We saw him in good moments, but again, I don't really see that star power against a really good team at NC State. And how about NC State? 10 wins if they win this game. I think they get their 10th one. I got NC State winning this one. 10 and 3 for a basketball school. Oh yeah, I'm going Wolfpack as well. NC State gets the big time dub. 10 wins at on 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 Tobacco Road there for NC State. Mm, mm. And lastly, the Thursday night game. The game of the year we've been looking forward to talking about, the a.k.a. the Cody Oaks Bowl. The Cody Oaks Bowl, the Valero Alamo Bowl, 14 Arizona 9-3 versus 12 Oklahoma 10-2. Oklahoma's last game as a Big 12 representative. Arizona's last game as a Pac-12 representative. Just like we talked about with SMU and BC, what better way to get introduced to the Big 12 than beat one of the top dogs in the Big 12, the Oklahoma Sooners? Wow. Let's start out with Oklahoma. For all those Arizona fans, sit tight. We will talk about Arizona. But we got to talk Oklahoma because the biggest storyline with Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel no longer there. See you, Dylan Gabriel, going to Oregon. Jackson Arnold, quarterback, five-star. This is your opportunity, like Miller Moss, to claim your team. Talk to me about the move, and then talk to me about Jackson Arnold and what he needs to do against Arizona. You know what? I think, honestly, like, I think this is going to work out for both not only Dylan Gabriel, but also for Jackson Arnold. I think the fact that he was able to sit and kind of watch Dylan Gabriel and learn from Dylan Gabriel over this last year and really see Dylan Gabriel while he was healthy kind of play and how to kind of dictate, um, kind of be the point guard of this offense and how to get the football to his guys um, and really use your legs sparingly as you need to. I think Jackson Arnold is a little bit more of a pure passer. Uh, than Dylan Gabriel was. I'm not saying that Dylan Gabriel isn't a good passer of the football. Obviously, his stats back that up. But I think Jackson Arnold, in terms of pure arm talent and the ability to spin the football, um, is able to just simply throw the football better than Dylan Gabriel. So I'm really looking forward to watching Jackson Arnold with a month of prep really kind of dig into this Oklahoma offense and kind of be the knowing that he was going to be the guy. Um, it's going to be fun to watch him. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of like the type of energy that Oklahoma has. Oklahoma, like when it comes to bowl games, Oklahoma is notorious for having a ton of energy um, and is well known to know like, hey, when we go on the road, we're trying to win every single trophy. I want to say that they have one of the more extensive trophy cases in all of college football in terms of number of bowls that they've won. I want to say they actually have the number one. Um, someone will probably fact check me on that in the comments at some point. but. 
I'm pretty sure Oklahoma has the most diverse bowl game trophy room um, in college football. Um, I actually went and visited campus um, back in 2019, um, was able to actually check it out um, and actually see um, all those bowl games. They had just renovated um, uh, Gaylord, Gaylord Memorial Stadium there. Um, and so, like, they had some brand-new football offices. Um, and, man, one of the state-of-the-art um, football facilities in the country. And, again, like I said, Oklahoma is notorious for in-bowl games. They travel really well. Um, and I think that they're like fired up for this football game. And it'll be interesting to see Jackson Arnold again, um, kind of harking back to what you were talking about, Jax. Um, Jackson Arnold as the guy, I think he's going to be able to flourish and be able to get the ball out to his guys in space and allow those big time playmakers on the edge like Nick Anderson uh, mm. to make plays. Nick Anderson is special on the outside for wide receiver. The guy getting his last game, his last start at Oklahoma. I mean, this Stoops. dude, I feel like this dude's been there for like 80 years. Drake Stoops, one, two, three, four, five, six years at Oklahoma. This will be his last game. Look for him to be an impact on the inside. Look for him to kind of be that security blanket, third down guy for Jackson Arnold. But a, a big guy that I think is playing. And this is a dude that I think has got to play a big game when it comes to no Fafita, when it comes to that screen game of Arizona that they love to run with T-Mac, with, with Jacob Cowling, with, with Montana Craig, is Danny Stutzman. Him coming mm. back for another year. Could have went to the draft 2024 prospect. He said, you know what? I want, to, I want to be here for Oklahoma for another year. That's the dude that represents Brent Venables. If he can be effective, you know, with it, with his zone reads, with his pass reads, and he can be the guy downhill to kind of, you know, be that force, be that bowling ball, kind of like, you know, the gunner on kickoff that's got to run through that wedge. He's got to be the guy to run through that screen to, to you know, help his buddies out, come from behind and stop those screens. Because there's a, they're, they're a big screen get your athletes out in space kind of offense. I think, you know, Oklahoma's got to be that type. And then it's going to be interesting to see what are they going to do against T-Mac? What are they going to do against Cowling? Again, you look at some of the top wide receiver units we talk about, Arizona's starting to creep up there, too, with what they're doing. I'm going to Mikey Matthews in the transfer portal, too. I can't imagine Mikey Matthews and T-Mac. That's a discussion for another day. But for Arizona's pass defense on the other side of things, they're 72nd. They average... 12 yards per pass. So I ask you, Cody, let's go one more thing for Oklahoma offense, Arizona defense. We're on the other side of things. What's the biggest thing? What can Arizona's defense do against Jackson Dart in this really high-powered you know, passing offense? Again, it's a new quarterback, but still some more system there with Arnold. Yeah, you know, I think what Arizona needs to do is just keep playing with confidence and playing with speed. Anytime, like – as the year's kind of gone on, you've kind of seen Arizona. It it literally has just felt like they've gotten faster and faster and faster and faster on defense. And I think mm. what that comes with is, like, obviously a new defensive coordinator getting into the system. They're playing a lot of young guys. And now those young guys are really starting to see their keys. They're really starting to get into their technique. And what that does is it allows them to play fast because they know that my guy over here to my right and my guy to my left, they're handling their business. That allows me to just focus on my keys. And now I can play downhill, play aggressive. And really, again, like I said, play as fast as they can. And I think it's been really fun to watch them not only grow, but also kind of like take steps to kind of be an elite type defense, kind of hearkening back to kind of like the uh, the Desert Swarm defense of the early 90s there in, mm. in Tucson. So 
Um, it'll be interesting to see. I think what they need to do in this game is they really, I think they should heat up Jackson Arnold. I don't think he has the legs quite like a Dylan Gabriel. Um, but if they can heat up Jackson Arnold, get the football out of his hands quickly, um, and rally up and tackle like they have been. Cause I think that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed with Arizona is there hasn't been a ton of missed tackles, um, especially in their back end with their corners and safety. So I think if they're able to do that, I think it'll keep this go- game close. Um, and then anytime right now, when you have a Noah Fafita, and T-Mac in a close football game, that just kind of leans towards Arizona, if I'm being honest. So um, mm. as an Oklahoma fan, um, I think this was the one matchup that we didn't want. Um, I said a few weeks ago, there's a few teams in the country that you don't want to play. And to me, those teams both start with an A. One's Alabama, the other's Arizona. So mm. um, I think the Wildcats are definitely going to show up to play. I think they're going to travel really, really well to this football game. Um, and I think that uh, Wildcat Nation is going to be loud and proud in this football game. Arizona's passing game, they're six in third downs. So it's a really good extending drives and ending with touchdowns, putting them on the board. They got one of the best red zone offenses. On the other side of things for Oklahoma, 97th in pass defense, but they're second in interceptions. And I think an interception against Nova Fafita, that could kind of sway, you know, Jackson Arnold to get good field position too. I think field position in this, in this game is going to be a big thing to see, you know, if Oklahoma can't get going early on offense, but they can pin Nova Fafita Inside the 10, inside the five-yard line, it can be frustrating for an offense to have to go 95, 99 yards every single every single you know drive. And to that point, I think a guy that's got to be key in this is Jonah Coleman. Just like Washington's offense has been with T-Mac, you know, with Washington's receiver unit, the receiver unit for Arizona is good. But if they can be able to get established a running game, I think he's got to have 15 to 20 carries for Coleman. And then again, you got Noah Fafita, T-Mac, you got Cowling. Noah Fafita's got to do Noah Fafita things. This is a great confidence booster for him moving on. We'll see what he can do next year with Arizona. I, I, again, with NIL going on right now, I, I think he stays. I think Noah Fafita stays. But again, sources tell me, I don't know. Tampering happens in college football, ladies and gentlemen. And what I'm hearing my sources say is this dude's been offered a ton of money under the table. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. My sources say, don't, I'm not trying to scare Wildcat fans. I think he stays overall. I think he stays with T-Mac. I think he stays with the program. I think Arizona's going to buy in. Tucson's going to buy in even more to Nova Fafita to make sure that he stays. And with the timetable, January 2nd being when the portal closes, I just don't see Nova Fafita doing that. I, don't, I think he loves Tucson. But I'm just saying, tampering may be occurring in Noah Fafita's phone. Now, again, I could be wrong, but my sources tell me that. Allegedly. Allegedly is the word you're looking for. And at the end of the day, like a quarterback is a hot commodity, especially an experienced quarterback coming off a big season. Um, I think that uh, if he were to transfer, he'd probably be in that top 10 list of guys that people would want. I mean, he's, he's shown that he was able to win nine games, um, possibly 10 games in a loaded Pac-12s in probably the best Pac-12 season we've seen. Um, and then obviously mm-hmm. finishing it off with a bowl win against Oklahoma would probably be the cherry on top. Um, but real quick, a, a name to remember for this game, on the Oklahoma side of the football, Billy Bowman, safety, nickel, um, had multiple interceptions this year. I want to say two pick sixes, um, including the 95-yarder against um, Kansas, Kansas State, Kansas. I want to say Kansas. Anyway, the point is is that Billy Bowman is a ball player, playmaker, um, and, and at the end of the day, I think this is probably, if not the best, one of the best uh, bowl games of the whole entire slate this year. 
Um, a name, a name to remember for Oklahoma, just on the flip side, just real quick before we make our picks, uh, Billy Bowman safety nickelback for university of Oklahoma, multiple pick sixes this year, absolute playmaker dog in the secondary to kind of go along with, uh, Danny Stutzman. So kind of against that passing game that Arizona has, I think the fact that Billy Bowman is there, hasn't transferred, actually, he reiterated that he was going to be back, um, this next year for Oklahoma as well. Um, it'll be interesting to watch uh, that matchup with Billy Bowman, Tedero McMillan, Jacob Cowing, um, and Noah Fafita slinging the rock all over the place. So I think, like I said, this is going to be, if not the best, one of the best bowl games of the entire bowl season. Prediction time, Cody. For me, Arizona's favorite by two and a half. I think Arizona wins this game. I think it's a big confidence booster heading in to the Big 12. They're 10-3. and three. Can't imagine. I mean, that's insane to think about. Noah Fafita as a starter, I think he's only lost one Two games, I guess. Washington early, USC, that double overtime thriller. I got Arizona winning, Cody. Now, this is going to be fun to see who you pick. Wow. I grew up about 10 minutes from campus, but I grew up as an Oklahoma fan. I'm from Oklahoma. I was born in Oklahoma City, about 15 minutes away from campus. Man, I'm going to have to – wow. Having to pick this game is tough. Uh, for the sake of trying to get back in this game, I'm going to go Oklahoma wins, but I don't want to. Like, I definitely believe Arizona wins this football game. Actually, no, I'm going Arizona. Damn it, I'm going back and forth. I want Ari- I want Oklahoma to win, but I think Arizona wins. They're on a little bit more of a st- hot streak. I think they're riding too much momentum. Um, I think that right now, just like I said, there's two teams you don't want to play in college football, and one of them's Alabama and one of them's Arizona. So, I think I Arizona wins. I see someone. I can see someone watching this podcast being like. Oh, Cody, why would you pick against us? And then, oh, never mind. No, you know, you picked, you picked for us. I'm going to delete the DM real quick. No, no, no. Okay, all right. I, I, I can't be mad about that at all. Both picking Arizona there. Bear down and uh, horns down or whatever they say um, for Oklahoma. Let's talk Sun Bowl. Now, Sun Bowl, we're getting into the Friday games here. Um, the Sun Belt. Now, this bowl would be better if all players were playing. 19 Oregon State versus 16 Notre Dame. Notre Dame is six-point favorite. Fun fact, Cody, this is the third time these two teams have played each other in bowl games. Oregon State's 2-0. and Can you name one or both bowl games with the years when Oregon State and Notre Dame played each other? I'll be very impressed if you know this. 2001 Fiesta Bowl with current, or actually, he's actually the Michigan State head coach. Jonathan Smith was their quarterback. Ken Symington was their running back. They beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl 41-9 to that year. Do you know the other one? That was impressive. I didn't know you knew that. Come on, man. I'd do this. Uh, I could not tell you the other one. Okay, Sorry. one's impressive. 2004 <laughs> Insight Bowl. 2004 Insight Bowl. But again, Oregon State. I mean, what other team has gotten punished more to portal guys than Oregon State? Aiden Child's gone to Michigan State. DJU probably going to Florida State or Miami, wherever he goes. But, I mean, Damian Martinez out, is out this game, too. He's not playing. But if you're Oregon State, though, and you've got to feel kind of okay with, you know, going into Notre Dame, is your quarterback. You've got Ben Gustafson, who started last year when you guys beat Florida. And I think it was the either the Las Vegas Bowl or the L.A. Bowl when they played Florida. But starting last year's game, again, not as effective in the passing game, but can run as well. 
Um, on the other side of things, Notre Dame, no quarterback, no running back. But when you look at this Cody, Oregon State, Notre Dame, what sticks out to you? Um, we'll, we'll go through this one quick, and then we'll get into our predictions. Oregon State's defense and running game in this game will carry the day. I got Oregon State. I actually got Oregon State fairly easily in this football game. The fact that Sam Hartman's not playing, the fact that Audric Estime is gone as well. Um, I just don't think that Notre Dame is going to be able to hold up in this game. Next year, Notre Dame is going to be awesome. We'll get into that later. But for this game, unfortunately, Jax, I believe Oregon State is going to run away with this one. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's tough for me. Again, I'm a Notre Dame guy. Steve Angeli is the quarterback. Um, I mean, he's played in five games this season, 19 to 23, 272 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. But again, I, I think even though there's a lot of guys that are going either in the portal or, you know, guys that have going to the draft, I still think Notre Dame's got the talent and the depth over Oregon State to beat them in this game. Look out for some guys to make debuts at running back, okay? Jeremiah Love, he's gotten some time this year. Freshman, 6'1", 195, 56 carries, 346 yards, one touchdown. But some other guys, too, I mean, you've got Jadarion Price, and you've got Jabran Payne. Also, those are two running backs, too. But then the tight end position, Mitchell Evans out for the year with an ACL. This is the type of game Cooper Flanagan could be the guy here. Eli Raridan could be the guy here, both sophomores. Cooper Flanagan being a freshman, I kind of see them kind of playing, you know, the freshman type when we talk about Miami. Like, this could be the type of game for Notre Dame. Bring the talent in, bring the young folks in, and kind of, you know, establish what you got for the future there in Notre Dame. So, for me, Cody, I'm going Notre Dame. I think they win big. I think Notre Dame wins big. I think they cover the six and a half here. I think this is kind of a momentum boost for Marcus Freeman, who's undefeated in bowl games, and then become 10-3 and three and beat Oregon State. Some ball, some ball's always fun, though. Some ball's always fun. Always. Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, 22 Clemson, 8-4. Disappointing. Versus Kentucky, 7-5. Devin Leary, uh, wasn't he a projected first-round pick just a year ago? Where has he been? Where has Cade Klubnick been? Where has he, Devin Leary been? He was been? one of my, he was one of my picks Cody to Oaks. be one of the Is top quarterbacks in college football this year. He made my top audition. 10. What did you say? Yeah, top 10? Exactly. Yeah, top yeah. 10. Yeah. Um. Does this game scream like a kind of like a last like last hope for Cade Klubnick? Like if he doesn't play well in this game, what what happens at quarterback position for Clemson? Are they just going to rock with Cade Klubnick into this next season? Like is this the kind of game both Cade Klubnick and for Garrett Riley that not Garrett Riley's job is on the line, but they got to get something clicking here before next season? Yeah, you know I think that Cade Klubnick. I think uh, the Garrett Riley experiment hasn't. Uh... Uh, worked out but I think one of the cool things too is this kind of if you go back to last year shows you how special Max Duggan really was um, in that offense for TCU so um, I think that Cade Klibnik, uh maybe has maybe he had like a little lower ceiling than we thought um, and no disrespect to him I mean anytime you go you run through the Texas 6A gauntlet or 5A gauntlet that he was in three years in a row. It's pretty impressive. So um, shout out to Cade Klemnick. I think you're an absolute baller. Um, I think that uh, Dabo hasn't done a great job recruiting around you. Um, obviously not using the transfer portal at all. Um, I really think that uh, it's interesting that we're talking about Clemson being eight and four, potentially eight and five. Um, a lot of programs would kill to have that. And right now they're, you know, people were talking midseason about Dabo Sweeney getting fired or it was it mm. time to start looking in other directions. So, um, no, I think 
this is kind of the 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 potential letdown of the year bowl uh, between Kentucky and Clemson. Um, obviously, Devin Leary. Um, Kentucky started off the year like gangbusters. Everyone was talking about them. Then they ran into Georgia and kind of like started to dip after that. Um, Clemson, obviously, they took it on the chin in week one against Duke um, and haven't really kind of recovered from that. So um, it's kind of just, it, like I said, it'll be interesting to see who's kind of able to get up for this game um, this year. If you're a fan of running backs, I think this is the game for you. Again, Ray Davis, what we saw against Florida this year, I believe it was his breakout game. You could see that maybe against Clemson. Clemson known for the great front seven, including Xavier Thomas on the defensive line, six-year senior, former number one player of the 2018 class. Perspective, folks. I graduated Crazy. in 2018 in high school. Number one, number two, Xavier Thomas. Number two, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So wow. kind of crazy perspective <laughs> to see where, where Trevor's at now at third year in the league and Xavier you know, Thomas still being at Clemson. But Will Shipley, Phil Moffa, both juniors. Interesting to see you know, after this game if anyone go and transfer somewhere else or if they kind of stick around and kind of mm. be their two-back system. Will Shipley kind of a down year back end of the year dealing with injuries. But – those are the key players for me on both sides. Um, any key points and then getting to your prediction there, Cody. Gator Bowl will be played um, on Friday, December 29th. Clemson, four-point favorite. I'm going Clemson just based on talent alone. I don't think the running back um, is going to be able to hold Kentucky in this football game, although Kentucky's defense is really, really good. I just, I just think Clemson ultimately pulls it out late. I agree with you. I think the talent at Clemson, they've got depth. I know they lost a couple wide receivers, but I, I think their running backs run big. I'm going to say both of them combined for 200 yards rushing. That's my bold prediction there. Another funny Ooh. thing, though, you know what would be funny with Clemson? DJU still looking for a home. Could you imagine if DJU transferred back to Clemson? <laughs> don't do it, DJU. Please don't. For your legacy. <laughs> for your legacy, please. Please don't. For your don't. legacy, please don't. Uh, this next one, real quick, AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Iowa State, what a back end of the year for Iowa State. Seven and six, they're a ten and a half point oh. favorite against a really quiet Memphis team, nine and three. Very quiet nine and three there for, for Memphis. Um, again, what a back end. That, that's all kudos to Coach Matt Campbell there. Um, what are your thoughts about this game? What's your prediction there? Iowa State, Memphis. Give me Memphis and those Tigers from the AAC. I got Memphis winning this football game. Big upset. Too explosive there. on wow. offense. Um, kind of an unknown at quarterback for Iowa State. Um, obviously, Iowa State kind of dealing with what they dealt with at the beginning of the year with that gambling scandal. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Memphis. I'm going Iowa State. Again, I like their coach. I think they got better talent there at the quarterback position. Oh. Back end of the season, you know, you're starting to get hot. I like them to finish 8-5 and five, Iowa State. This next bowl game, Friday night, intriguing game. 9 Missouri versus 7 Ohio State. 9 Missouri, 10-2. and two. Ohio State, 11-1. and one. Now, this spread's been interesting. It's been up and down. Missouri was a 2.5-point favorite early. Now, Ohio State's a 3-point favorite because – Marvin Harrison Jr. is practicing, looks to be playing. Emeka Buka is playing. And, but the biggest thing here, and Travion Henderson might be playing as well. The biggest thing, though, new mm. quarterback, Devin Brown. Number 33, Devin Brown. Now, let's uh, talk Ohio State. Like Devin that. Brown, before the season, Cody, you even said you think Devin Brown was going to play at some point in the season. But did you think it was going to be the bowl game and Kyle McCord would be at Syracuse? Probably not. Take me into the Ohio State offense. 
What do they need to do? What does Devin Brown need to do in his first start as an Ohio State Buckeye? Kind of a Miller Moss type audition for him. Yeah, uh, I think if he's if he's worth a, his salt at all, I think watch the Miller Moss tape, take some confidence from that, understand that there's nobody really behind you, there's no pressure in terms of getting benched, play loose, play free, trust your guys, you, you're throwing to the best receiving crew in the country, even if, God forbid, Marvin Harrison announces that he's not going to play or something like that, um, you're still throwing to arguably one of the best receiving groups in the country. Um, you have two running backs behind you that you can hand the ball off to, um, really three, but like really like two horses, uh, back there. Trust your guys. Don't put your defense in a compromised position. Don't turn the ball over and you'll be fine. For me, when I look at it, I think the biggest matchup here, Ohio State's wide receivers, like you mentioned, Cardinal Tate could be a guy that kind of emerges if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't play. Look out for Mecca Buka. Maybe he's trying to get his status up, but Cardinal Tate, all they're hearing about is he's the next one to come up. But this Mizzou DB core, really good DBs. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they face against this Ohio State team. Combined, I'm looking at five other DBs right now. They've got Drane Clark, um, Carnell, and Carlos. All of them combined have nine interceptions this year. And they've got a total of about 25 pass breakups between the five of them. So that tells me that they're really good with their hands, really good technique on the outside. And you never know. I'm excited to watch those two matchups there. I think a key X factor for me besides Devin Brown is Cade Stover. Best friend, go-to connection for Kyle McCord. He could be the same thing there for Devin Brown. But Devin Brown, 33, they got a lot of confidence in him. It's kind of weird, Ryan Day, this whole quarterback room. That's weird. Like early Kyle McCord, and now all of a sudden you got Devin Brown, and he's going to be the future for next year, even though you didn't have any confidence to even play him much after that Indiana game. It's just weird stuff there. But any X-Factor keys for you here? And then kind of, you know, give us a little status on what Devin Brown needs to do, I guess, against these Mizzou DBs and this pretty good stout defense in Missouri. Yeah, you know, I think, like I said earlier, like as long as Devin Brown doesn't turn the ball over, I think that's if he can avoid the early turnover, because mm. let's be honest, like Missouri recognizes like the opportunity that they have to play against the Ohio State University in a New Year's Six Bowl game. Um, I think it's going to be one of those like one of those things where um, and it's in Dallas's stadium, right? Mm, yeah. So that I mean. That's right in Missouri's backyard where they used to recruit. Great opportunity for them to kind of get back into Texas in terms of recruiting because now that Texas is moving to the SEC, great opportunity for Missouri to kind of kick to those guys. Like, hey, you know, like you saw what we did in the SEC this year. Texas hasn't even been in the SEC yet. Um, and if they're able to win this game in the Texas footprint against a perennial power like the Ohio State University, I think it can kickstart uh, Missouri's recruiting into 2024 um, and that late signing period coming up here in February. So I think Missouri is going to take this game very serious. Um, and I think that ultimately, as long as um, Devin Brown is the quarterback for Ohio State, that Missouri should be favored in this football game. A lot of upside here for Missouri if they can win this game. Again, the fact that they beat 11-2 after beating Ohio State is wild. On the other side of things, Brady Cook, the quarterback, but a matchup to look for. I know Cody Schrader, again, Cody Schrader, kind of the Christian McCaffrey of this offense. They can kind of be high tempo against an Ohio State front, kind of make him exhausted. And, again, he's faced SEC defenses. This Ohio State front's not going to, you know, scare him for Cody Schrader. But a big matchup for me, Cody, Luther Burden III against Denzel Burke. Denzel Burke playing in this game, junior corner, supposed to be one of the top cornerbacks in the draft. He's a junior facing up against Luther Burden III. I mean, 
almost 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns. This is a guy, Luther Burden, that could be the potential of a Keon Coleman in this year's draft. He could be that top 15 guy. You look at next year's, the 2025 class, the two wide receivers that stick to mind, T-Mac and Luther Burden III. Like, those are the two that kind of, you know, when you look early into the next season as those top wide receivers there. Um, talk to me about this Mizzou offense. What's impressed you most with either Cody Schrader or with Brady Cook? Again, Brady Cook's got another year of eligibility. I don't, I don't think people realize that Brady Cook's got another year, but talk about this offense and what they need to do against a really stout, you know, front seven and defense being Ohio State. I think where they can win is on the outside. Theo Weiss, Luther Burden, Theo Weiss, formerly of the University of Oklahoma, by the way. Um, Theo Weiss on the outside, Luther Burden um, against those Ohio State DBs. I think that's the one place on this offense um, that they have an opportunity to compete. Um, I think the front seven from Ohio State is absolutely lethal. Shout out to mm-hmm. JT Tuimoloau. Um, I think Cody Schrader is going to have a tough day. Um, but if he's able to get off at all, like let's say 80 to 100 yards rushing, um, I think that's going to bode well for Missouri in this football game for sure. I got Missouri winning this one, Cody. I, I think they got better talent. I think they're they're hungry. Great season. Okay, sorry. Time out. No, you're time good. Out, time out. <laughs> they've got – okay, they've got – I don't think the gap's that big when it comes to Missouri and Ohio State when you look at the talent that they've got. Young, up and coming Missouri again. Marvin Harrison Jr. plays. Obviously, they got the advantage being Ohio State, but I got Missouri winning this one. What do you, What do you got, Cody? I'm going to agree with you. I think Missouri, like I said, the opportunity. I think coach is going to have them absolutely fired up to play. I think this is kind of like a consolation prize for Ohio State. I don't think those guys are really fired up for this football game. I think maybe they're thinking that they missed out on opportunity to uh, make it into the college football playoff. Um, and they look, like I said, they look at, they're kind of looking at this game as kind of like, ah, we're playing Missouri. Who cares? Mm. And I think Missouri, like I said, has the, is looking at this as like a great opportunity to springboard into 2024. Obviously, their quarterback already has said that Brady Cook, he said he's coming back. Um, mm. obviously, you know, with the receiver, Luther Burden coming back, um, it's just too much upside, I think, in this game presented to Missouri. Too many opportunities. And I think Missouri is going to take full advantage of those. That is the Cotton Bowl there. That'll be a fun game to watch. Again, that's a Friday night game for um, bowl season. Let's move on to Saturday, December 30th, early game, 10 a.m. This one's going to be a fun one. Both teams kind of in similar boats right now. You got Jackson Dart versus Drew Aller, right? And you've got to kind of, you know, the next stage. Like maybe the next year will be the year for him. Ole Miss, kind of that little brother in the SEC. Penn State's been that little brother in the Big Ten for a while. You got 10 Penn State versus 11 Ole Miss, both 10 and 2. Penn State favors at a four and a half point favor. And I guess, Cody, we got to start with the quarterbacks. Talk to me about Drew Aller. Talk to me about Jackson Dart. I mean, you look right now, Drew Aller, 23 touchdowns, one interception. You're like, man, this guy knows how to take care of the football. But 61% on passes. Very, you know, when he's flustered, when he's got a lot of pressure and stuff like that. I mean, he doesn't really do well against, you know, when, when I guess, when pressure's up against him. He is young. Um, talk to me about him and then talk to me about Jackson Dart, who's going to be coming back for another year there at Ole Miss. Yeah, you know, uh, Drew Aller, I think, um, like you said, the 23 to 1 uh, touchdown interception ratio is elite. Um, but again, when you kind of like you dive deeper into the numbers, kind of like what you said, the 61% completion rate definitely got to improve on that if he ever wants to take that next step. 
Um, they've done such a good job recruiting around him. Obviously, Nick Singleton, Catron Allen are kind of the stars of this offense, along with Drew Aller. Um, I think if he's able to find a way to kind of unlock that potential six foot five, over 225 pounds, a dual sport, like a dual threat athlete to go along with these running backs and the receivers on the outside and to kind of pair with their defense, which is elite. You know, um, I want to say heading into like week eight or something like that, Penn State was the number one ranked defense in the country. Mm. And so I think if you just kind of find a way to unlock, like if, if anyone can, it's Coach Franklin. But um, if he's able to unlock the potential that is in Drew Aller, I think Penn State can kind of take that proverbial leap um, going into 2024. Um, on the other side, Jackson Dart has been absolutely sensational this year for Ole Miss. Um, obviously, they just kind of ran into a couple buzz saws um, this year. And if it wasn't for, let's say, Alabama, maybe we're talking about Ole Miss sneaking mm-hmm. into obviously the SEC championship because they would have won the SEC West, but also a potential playoff team. And so I think that uh, Ole Miss offensively um, is absolutely every bit elite uh, with Coach Kiffin, um, calling the plays, throwing clipboards in the air. Um, um, it'll it'll just be interesting to see, like, can Jackson Dart continue to duplicate all these performances that he had in these big games? And I think Ole Miss is hungry. I mean, I think they're recognizing, like, there's kind of the shift – of some power in the SEC, obviously with Oklahoma and Texas coming in. Um, I think that they're kind of looking at like, okay, if we can win this football game, we can kind of springboard into kind of, again, that late signing period, as you're, you're probably going to hear this a lot. Um, mm. Springboard yourself into like a, a strong finish in that second to and late signing period in February um, after this bowl game, if they're able to pull this out against a good Penn State football team. I know they just got the number one player in the transfer portal, that edge rusher, that defensive lineman from Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. I think his name is Walter Nolan. They've been killing it mm-hmm. in the transfer portal. So, again, Kiffin extended, just got an extension. Um, Ole Miss is seeking their first 11-win season in school history. Something to look out for there. But for Ole Miss, or for Penn State, excuse me, I'm challenging the wide receivers. I'm challenging the tight ends. Look, Ooh. all juniors, they're three, they're three leading receivers right now. You've got, you know, Kendra Lambert-Smith. You've got Theo Johnson, and you've got Tyler Warren, wide receivers, tight ends. Be a threat on the outside. Win those one-on-one matchups. Like, you see Penn State right now. They're looking at Julian Fleming. They're looking at guys in the transfer portal. If I'm a wide receiver and I see they're trying to get dudes, that fires me up. Get fired up for this game. Prove to the world that you got wide receiver unit and that you can build on something next year with Drew Aller. Give him that confidence on the outside. But more importantly, Cody, we've been screaming this all year. And I'm praying with the new OC next year that they imply this more. The best two athletes on your team are Catron Allen and Nicholas Singleton. Involve them in the passing game. Maybe have one in the slot, maybe one, maybe one in the backfield. Jet sweep or fake jet sweep dive. You know, you can do so much. Maybe maybe in a triple option with them. Maybe fake to Allen and go on the outside with triple option to Singleton. But I think you got to be involved in the passing game. Catron Allen's got more of an edge in the passing game. He's the fifth leading, you know, receive it, receiver on this Penn State team. But that's something that sticks out to me. I'm really challenging these wide receivers and tight ends because, again, Ole Miss, Land Sharks, they're known for that front seven there. What can Drew Aller do if, if he needs he needs help on the outside, especially in the red zone when the running game's not going? That sticks out to me. And the other side, again, you like running backs. I mean, shoot, Quinch, it's it's Junkins. I don't know how to say it. Is it Quin, Quinchin? Quinchon? Quinchon Johnson? Junkins? So bad with names. Something I got to approve oh, on in 2024. We all have New Year's, Le- Le- New Year's resolutions. Mine is to be able to say all these names. <laughs> how do you say his name? Sophomore Quinchon Johnson? 
Quinshawn Junkins? I can't even say that name, dude. Okay, Cody, how do you say his name? Quinshawn Judkins. Mm. Running back, absolute baller. Um, kind of underwhelmed this year, but um, absolute stud. Someone to look forward to watching. Um, I think that backfield, I mean, really the dueling backfields, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I think that this is going to be one of the best bowl games of the year. Um, mm. Two offenses that are really going to be able to kind of go at it. Um, I'm going to go with Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss ultimately will out-talent Penn State just barely. Um, but I think that, yeah, Jackson Dart is just simply playing at a higher level than Drew Aller, regardless of the touchdown-interception ratio. Mm, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to go Penn State. I think the reason why they got Kalen King playing this game, I know Chop Robinson's not playing. I know their best left tackle that's projected to be a top five is not playing. We'll not try to pronounce his name. But I think the biggest difference here, I like <laughs> Penn State. I like the running backs. I like the wide receivers. Give me Penn State in this one. Give me Penn State. I'm going Penn State against Ole Miss. I got Penn State there in the people. Love to hear it. Um, real quickly, Auburn, Maryland. No Talia Tagaviola. Peyton Thorne for Auburn. Who you like, Auburn versus Maryland? Auburn versus Maryland. Auburn, the Auburn that almost beat Alabama. Absolute barn burner of a football game. I think they're probably going to draw a lot of confidence from that game. Obviously, um, Leah Tagovailoa, his last game um, playing at Maryland. I think that ultimately, oh, this one's tough because Auburn's defense is so good. They're so good. Um, I just don't trust Peyton Thorne like I trust Leah Tagovailoa. Give me Maryland. Maryland. Now, Cody, you might not like this information. What if I told you Talia Tagavala is not playing in this game? Now, I'm a fair dude. He's not playing. Okay. Then give me Auburn in that defense. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your candor, sir. Thank you. Again, it's so hard, folks, with the portal and stuff like that. Like, portal and opt-outs and all this bull crap in college football to keep up with everything. I just, we, I just wish we could assume that every single quarterback and every single player was playing. But Christian McCaffrey had to be the first one to opt out, and now you see about 100 opt-outs every single year. Sorry. Yeah, but- I actually saw something that was talking about Jalen. Jalen Smith is the reason why everyone opt out, opts out now because he tore his ACL. Yeah, I was at that game. I was at that game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was that that game? Protective top five, ended up being a second-round pick, and now he's no longer in the league. But, again, it could happen. It's football. But, all right, next game here. We're still on the topic of Saturday, December 30th. Six, Georgia versus five, Florida State. Um, the two teams that got kicked out of the CFP, Georgia is now a 19-point favorite. Part of that reason, Tate Rodemaker in the transfer portal. Why? Does not want to face Georgia. Does not want to get hurt against Georgia. So you got Brock Glenn versus the Brock Bowers. I don't think Brock Bowers is playing this game. Ladd McConkey might be playing or not, if not anything. You got Carson Beck. You got Georgia's talent. Um, we don't have to talk much about this one. Georgia's going to kick the absolute shit out of Florida State. I'm surprised. Georgia by nine, 50. Yeah, nine, 19 seems a little low here. I would probably say Georgia minus 30. Like, I mean, dude, this is going to be bad. Carson Beck probably plays, what do you think, over under two and a half quarters. What do you think he plays? How many quarters do you think he plays? That sounds about right. Brock Vandergriff. We'll see you soon. <laughs> well, he's he's at Kentucky. Vandergriff's at Kentucky. So it's oh, a yeah, he, he transferred. Now we don't yeah. even know who the backup is for Georgia. So 
Yeah, whoever the backup, whoever the fourth, third, and fourth string quarterbacks for Georgia, be ready to play because I feel Keon like Coleman not playing. Florida State's everything was taken out of their sails. The fact that they didn't make it, and I think Georgia's pissed that they didn't make it. Mm. So I think Georgia's about to take it out on Florida State. So have fun. There's two things you don't want to face in college football. It's a pissed-off Alabama and a pissed-off Georgia when they don't make the CFP. Sorry, Florida State. Sorry for Brock Glenn. Um, I mean, over, under, again. How many sacks? Eight and a half? Like, I mean, they're going Oof. to abuse him. Jared Verse isn't playing. Trey Benson isn't playing. Keon Coleman isn't playing. Jordan Travis is in a boot or whatever he has on his leg. Um, I like Georgia big. I'm assuming you're going Georgia here. Not much discussion there. Just like our next game, the Barstool Arizona Bowl. And Toledo, 11-2, and two, lost in the MAC championship against Wyoming, 8-4. and four. Wyoming plays in this bowl game again. Who did they lose to last year, Cody? Say that one more time. Who did Wyoming lose to in the Arizona Bowl last year? Same bowl game. They're in it again. It's a MAC school. Hint, hint. Wyoming? MAC versus Mountain West. Wyoming lost to, ooh, Curtis Rourke in Miami. Curtis Rourke in Ohio. I think Ohio. Oh, sorry, Ohio. Yeah, dang it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, this is second year in row. Wyoming's playing them. Toledo just lost in the MAC championship against Miami, Ohio. Big upset there. I like Wyoming. I think their quarterback's electric. I remember them against Texas Tech in the beginning of the season. They had some good games. They almost made the Mountain West championship again with that three, four way tie. But I like Wyoming to win this one, Cody. What about you? Absolutely. Wyoming, uh, I, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. I want to say they beat Texas Tech and then almost and they almost went into Austin and beat Texas. I just think Wyoming's the better team. Um, I'm picking Wyoming as well. Wyoming. Next one we've got started on Monday, January 1st. This one's the first one, the Real Quest Bowl between Wisconsin 7-5 and five and 13 LSU 9-3. and three. LSU opens up as a 10-point favorite. Seems kind of low to me, but again, you got Tanner Mordecai. Six-year senior quarterback, last game of his career, versus Garrett Nussmeyer. And look, again, we just mentioned Miller Moss. We just mentioned kind of these quarterbacks that are getting their debut to kind of, you know, be the quarterback of the future, like Devin Brown, for example. Could this be a game And Garrett Nussmeyer stays at LSU, maybe he kind of learns the offense and learns from even Jaden Daniels. Could this be the guy of the future for LSU? Big game for him against Wisconsin. Um, just talk about Garrett Nussmeyer, you know, quarterback again. Not a lot of people know who he is against Wisconsin and Luke Fickle, who's more of a defensive mind in head coach. Great question. I Thank you. believe Thank you. that Garrett Nussmeyer is not the answer at quarterback for LSU. Um, they do have a high powered freshman coming in. The name is escaping me, but um, I genuinely believe that this is going to be an exposed moment and possibly we see a late transfer from Garrett Nussmeyer because he's going to probably be told by the coaches after this game, hey man, sorry, you're not quite going to be the guy. We're looking at the freshman that's coming in. So, um, although does Tanner Mordecai, he kind of was banged up this year, didn't really have the season that we thought he was going to have. Obviously, neither did Wisconsin. We thought Wisconsin was going to be able to go maybe 11-1, 12-0 heading into that Big 12 mm-hmm. championship. Um, Braylon Allen at running back. Um, is he playing? I don't. No, he's not playing. And their second oh. strings hurt. He was out for the year. That was uh, Malusi. He got hurt early in the year. Braylon Allen, nah, he ain't playing. <laughs> he so, ain't playing. You know what that means is some third string running back from Wisconsin is going to run for 200 plus yards. 
and this LSU defense continues to get victimized. Um, and this time they don't have a quarterback to bail them out. I'm going Wisconsin. Give me Wisconsin in this game. Wow. Wisconsin, the pick there. Now, Cody, I'm going to let you decide if you want to change your pick after I tell you this, because I know Garrett Nussmeyer is the quarterback there. You don't think he's good. However, both Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. are playing this game. So, again, throw throw a 10-yard pass, see ya, Neighbors, or to Brian Thomas. They might make him look Ooh. a little better. The yak yardage might be insane. The run, the the yards after catch might be crazy. A struggling quarterback, but a great receiver duo that we've seen both trying to, you know, propel their draft stock, especially for Brian Thomas. Like Brian Thomas and Emeka Ibuka are kind of in the same boat. It's like great number two wide receivers. What can they do in the next level? Can they be that number one guy? You know, can they be that upper tier wide receiver unit? So I ask you again, Cody. I'm going LSU, but who are you sticking with your Wisconsin pick there? Wisconsin, go Badgers, jump around. (laughs) I'm a fair guy. I gave you that second chance there. Um, This next next one, which I'm going to, the Fiesta Bowl, 23 Liberty, 13-0, versus 8 Oregon, 11-2. Very frustrated 8 Oregon, but kudos to Liberty. Um, Undefeated 13-0, Conference USA. Don't like the matchup there as well. Liberty traveling all the way to Arizona, but... Had to get a group of five in there somewhere. But you look at Liberty. I mean, their star player, Caden Salter, Conference USA Player of the Year. And they got their running back, too, Quinnen Cooley, 1,300 yards, 16 touchdowns. And Salter also has 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns rushing. Um, One-two punch, Liberty, underdogs. We've seen crazy things happen in the Fiesta Bowl. Boise State, Oklahoma, you know that, too. So, again, on Liberty, let's start Liberty side. UCF Auburn. UCF Auburn. UCF, UCF Auburn. Yep, UCF that one. I think you know. I think it was UCF LSU played in that one. UCS, UCF Auburn played in the Peach Bowl. You are correct. Boom, roasted. Boom, gotcha. Gotcha, bitch. He got me. He got me. He got me. He got me. <laughs> in his defense, it's also very late, so I understand that. But talk to me about Liberty. Talk to me about Caden Salter. You're the quarterback guy. I know. Do a little research on Liberty, but. Kid's balling. He, he was a former transfer from UCF, like you just mentioned. Yeah, Keaton Salter, absolute baller. He's been dominating at Liberty. Dual threat guy. You said it. I, th- I want to say he has like over 50 combined touchdowns. Um, I think at the end of the day, his the fact that he's playing in this football game and Liberty has all their studs, probably the biggest game in Liberty's history, if you really break down like the program of Liberty, um and Oregon again another one of those teams similar to the Ohio State Missouri moment is Oregon going to be able to get up for this football game to play when Liberty is going to be playing in the biggest game of their lives and Oregon is playing in a consolation prize so um man this one this this one's a tough one for me because mm. um this screams kind of march madnessy type of game like a, yeah, a 12 I mean- 5 type shit we talk about it all the time. A team that has nothing to lose is one of the most scariest teams in college football. Uh, right now, Oregon's a sixteen and a half point favorite. If you're Liberty, I think you kind of, I think you kind of play the Washington role against Oregon. You kind of have those long, grueling drives, slow, methodical, frustrating, like three to four yards every single play is a win for Liberty. If they can kind of have those six to seven minute drives, get Bonix off the field, I think that's your chance. Or you got to respond with Bonix and them score quick. You got to respond because. 
like you mentioned with Washington, if they're a double digit, it, or he's in that double digit, you know, window, it's gonna be a long day for Liberty. I'm stoked to be here for one reason, one reason only, or well, two reasons. One reason Bonix and Bucky Irving are playing. Bonix, 61st start in college football. Bucky Irving, talented running back too. No Troy Franklin, but my second reason, they're wearing their throwback uniforms. I think are my favorite uniforms in all of college football. Oregon wearing the throwbacks. Again, throwbacks, vintage for a vintage type quarterback in Bo Nix. But if you're Bo Nix in them, again, when you play, oh, we treat every opponent the same. Oh, like we look at this D2 score. We look at this group of five team the same. Cool. But let's be honest. Like, again, like, come on. Liberty, like they're probably thinking Liberty, we're going to roll Liberty. So if they don't really get in that mindset, they start out early and then kind of show the depth of this Oregon team, bring all those wide receivers, you know, the local kids from Arizona, the cornerbacks, like the Jaden Lamar might get a lot of minutes here. Like the freshmen, the whole freshman class that we saw, you know, the guys from Washington and Oregon and California, all those seven on seven guys that we saw probably going to get a lot of minutes in this game. Bring those guys in, kind of showcase that talent, especially when you're up probably 15, 21 points against this Liberty team. But talk to me about Oregon. Talk to me what you expect from him here and what you want to see from him. I think Oregon sleepwalks in this football game as much as they think, as much as I love Bo Nix, and I think that he's arguably one of the most polarizing figures in college football history in terms of like being able to turn his career around from Auburn to Oregon. I mm. think that. Um, Liberty, this is how I see this game going. I think Liberty jumps out early. I think Liberty rides the wave of emotion. They get up 14, maybe 10 to 14 points, uh, similar to Washington. Um, and then um, it'll be kind of one of those, is Liberty going to be able to weather the storm? Is Liberty going to be able to weather the storm? Because we know that at some point, Oregon is going to get a run. They're going to score 14. They're going to score 21, possibly even 28 points in a row. And have you mm -hmm. done enough in that first little window of the game to be able to sustain yourself for four quarters against this Oregon football team? You got to give credit to the Liberty's head coach, Cal Caldwell. Um, he was from Coastal Carolina, 13-0 your first year. Like, I don't understand how much more perfect you can get than being 13-0 your first year. Expect a lot of trick plays. I would love to see trick plays. And I would love to see Liberty kind of being aggressive. And, you know, we want the ball first. You want to set the tone. Let's get softer going. Let's get the confidence of Liberty. And, again, I'll be at that game. Probably going to be 95% Oregon fans. Let's just be honest. Oregon travels really Absolutely. well. Liberty being from Virginia all the way to Arizona is a big disadvantage. All those Christian kids going to have to get on a bus early. They're probably on their way right now for that game on Monday. But, <laughs> Cody, I just don't see Liberty. I mean, 16 and a half. I think Oregon wins by 17, barely covers, but I think Oregon wins in Bo Nix. 61st start, Fiestable MVP. Let's do it. Yeah, that line, that line is entirely too big, um, but I definitely don't see Oregon losing this football game. Um, I think ultimately their talent will win out, but I definitely think it'll be like a 34-28 game. I don't see it being a 42-10 type of football game. Okay, 34-28. I'll go 34-17. That way we can have that on the side there and see if you're close in that one. And last but not least, your favorite matchup, Cody. 17 Iowa versus 21 Tennessee in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. Tennessee favored by six points. You've got Deacon Hill. What a stud Deacon Hill in Iowa. And this will be the last game. I'm assuming that Brian uh, Frentz, uh, the Fair. son of Kirk, Again, 127th in scoring offense, last in total offense. It's got to be his last game as the OC. Air it out. Trick plays. 
Why not? Bring everything out. Why not? It's your last game as the Iowa OC. But more on the flip side, Tennessee, 8-4. and four. Just came out that Joe Milton has opted out, which brings in to you, Cody, Nico I, not even going to try to say his last name, will be getting his first start, the true freshman. Talk to me about this young guy. What does he need to do, and how do you see him against one of the best defenses in college football being Iowa? That was big. That was a big yawn. That was a big yawn. But Nico Amaliava. Damn, you're good. Come on, man. I really do this. Shout out to Brandon Huffman. I appreciate you helping me with these in the past. But Nico Amaliava, I might be butchering it. Please don't kill me, Big Nick. I love you, man. You're one of the coolest cats in 7-on-7 and on the West Coast in terms of football. We all know you. We love you. Um, But, no, Nico Amaliava is one of the top prospects. I think he was, like, either three or two in terms of quarterbacks coming out in the last recruiting cycle. Um, in some respects, he was number one, like in some uh, recruiting aspects, he was number one. So um, six foot four, six foot five, has a cannon of an arm. He's a little on the slight side, so I don't know if he's had a chance to take some hits. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to just see how he's able to play in this football game. So um, giving him the reins, similar to a Miller Moss at USC, kind of it'll be interesting to see. Um while the uh, Nico uh, era starts over there at Tennessee. So Iowa's offense, the scoring offense averages 16.6 points per game. Their defense Mm. is fourth in scoring defense with 13.23 points a game. So 13 points for their defense. If I'm Josh Heupel, I'm saying, look, if we score 20 points, we score 17 to 20 points, we win this football game. But I ask you, Cody, Nico, kind of a more flashier guy, got some NIL money, do you kind of see him being a little cocky, taking some risky throws early, or do you kind of see him kind of, you know, settling down, being patient, taking what the defense gets him, and maybe, you know, some early dink and dunk passes, trying to get him going? Or do you kind of see maybe Hypo opening up the offense a little more, kind of like that Joe Milton style, and maybe some deep throws early to scroll white to kind of build his confidence? How do you see Josh Hypo, the playbook, with Nico, the future here, but his, his first start as a true freshman? You know, I think like we've seen Josh Heupel um, for a few years now at UCF and then now at Tennessee. I think he lets it rip. He, and every single group, every single program he's played at or coached at, he's been aggressive. Even I mean, if you think about it, when he was at UCF, um, obviously Dylan Gabriel got hurt. They had to rock with a third string quarterback. They continued to score the football. So I think at the end of the day, um, similar to how Joe Milton kind of came into that Orange Bowl and beat Clemson, Nico steps in. Starter has decides to sit down or got injured um, in um, uh, Hendon Hooker's case. And, uh, you know, you get your opportunity to play and really air it out. And you saw in that game, they aired it out. They threw the ball a whole lot. Um, hopefully Squirrel White is able to play. I don't know. I haven't had a chance to check to see if he's playing or not. Um, hmm. But obviously they have some big-time receivers on the outside, a great opportunity for Nico to kind of come in, get his feet wet, and uh, really sling the ball around. Don't be surprised. First play. Ooh, first play, flea flicker. Calling it first play, flea flicker. Let him air that thing out and get comfortable. Yeah, and they've got a dynamic running game, too. That's the thing that's been weird about Tennessee. Last year, we saw them aired out with Hyatt and with Tillman and with Hinton Hooker. This year, they're more of a running team. They've got Jaden Wright, Jalen Wright, who's the guy right now, him and Jabari Smart, and also Samson kind of, you know, doing the running game for them. And then uh, Deacon Hill, hey, have fun. This is your last probably start as a quarterback. 
probably going to have to transfer someone or be a fullback. How, how is this guy a Division One quarterback? I do not know. This dude is six. This dude is 6'3", 258 pounds. That dude should be a fullback or a defensive end or a nose guard, nose tackle. Tough. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's my opinion there. But for me, I think Tennessee wins big. I think six is low. I think they win. I think Iowa's defense, again, if they had Cooper DeGene on the outside, who's a stud, white cornerback, which you haven't seen that. Fun fact, no cornerback that's been white has started in the NFL since 2001. So kind of crazy there. But who do you like? Iowa versus Tennessee. Give me Tennessee by 20. <laughs> I'm putting Tennessee by 20 down for you. <laughs> and with that, we, we've had technical difficulties. We finished the episode. What a long episode it was. Probably our last grueling preview episode. Cody, we did it. 17 games we previewed. Brother, how do you feel? College football is the greatest. We're going to come out with an Alamo Bowl reaction after that game. And then our next episode is going to be Tuesday morning after the you whole know, CFP happens. We're um, going to react to everything. I can't really complain, man. We love college football. It's been an absolute pleasure covering the season with you, my boy. I know there's a couple things to keep an eye out for. Maybe some college basketball, some special guests in the offseason. Um, so many things to look forward to here at the point after. Super excited. Um, and then obviously super excited for this slate of games coming up, not only this weekend, but on into the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. Our next episode, we're going to have a little mini episode. We're going to react to the Alamo bowl. And then Tuesday morning, we're going to react to everything that happened in the CFP as well as maybe some other bowl stuff too, but we love bowl season so far. I know your MVP so far has been Miller Moss. I love what we've seen from Jason Bean. We'll talk about more of that on our next episode. It's late early morning for you guys who are watching this, but we appreciate all the love and support. The Point After, episode 34, season two. We'll see you after the Owl Bowl, Friday morning. Peace!